You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, good morning. If you can find your way to a seat, uh, we are going to start uh, with a, or continue uh, with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we just come before you today uh, joyous uh, in our conversation and in our, in our greetings with one another, uh, celebrating uh, just being a part of this family and the work that you're doing uh, in our lives. And, and Father, we also recognize that around the world today, uh, you are doing a mighty work uh, for the glory of your name, and we are getting to participate in that. And so uh, we just pray for that work. We pray for Billy and Tara in Spain right now as they are um, in, uh, in Gijon and, and settling. We thank you for your blessing and favor upon them. I pray for Sean and, and, uh, and Seed Church this morning uh, as they talk about uh, missions to Spain uh, and just, the, just the, the vast work that you are doing. And uh, we thank you for being a, being a part of your kingdom and getting to glorify you in this place. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, good morning. We're going to be continuing in our story with, of Daniel and uh, our walk through the Old Testament. But I wanted to start today actually reading you guys a, a news article uh, from a website called Voice of the Martyrs. If you guys uh, remember about a year ago, uh, Billy, uh, if you were here a year ago, Billy spoke a message. And in it, he, um, he referenced an app called Pray Today. If anybody remembers that, he's like, hey, there's this great app out there called Pray Today if you, guys, if you wanted it. And so that kind of sparked my interest, and I downloaded the Pray Today app. Uh, and basically what it is is at a, whatever time you set up every day, uh, it, your phone gives you a notification that reminds you of the work that God is doing, uh, particularly uh, what's happening against Christians being persecuted around the world. And so typically for a week, it'll focus on an area of the country. So this, this week was Sudan. And it talks about what's going on in Sudan, the persecution that's happening. And then it has news articles also that you can read. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if, if you guys are like me. Hopefully not. Um, I tend to be a little oblivious to, what, to what's going on in the world sometimes. I get very consumed in my life. Uh, and I forget that the life that I get to live here as an American and the freedoms that I get to experience are pretty unique compared to the way the rest of the world lives. And so... Typically, um, Christians outside of uh, America are, are persecuted for their faith in some country on, on, every, on every continent uh, in the world. And so I, I downloaded this app just so that I would be reminded to pray for those people and to pray for the work that God is doing. So I want to encourage you to do the same. But this week when I opened it up, uh, an article caught my, my attention uh, so I wanted to read it to you guys, and it's up here on the web. You can go to the website, persecution.com, um, and, uh, and, and read some of these articles uh, to get uh, an awareness of, of uh, how the church is being persecuted around the world. But this one is called Egypt, uh, uh, Weddings to Four Funerals. In a deadly shooting on October 20th, uh, 2013, so just the beginning of this week, or uh, a week ago, Four Christians, including two young girls, were killed and another 18 people were wounded as they were attending one of the three weddings held at the, the Virgin Mary Coptic Church in, uh, in, a dist- in the, um, the Warag district of Cairo, Egypt. Two masked gunmen on a motorbike opened fire on the crowd standing outside the church building. Uh, Fatmi Azur Aboud, 75, lost two granddaughters, age 8 and 12. His son and his wife's sister, uh, Camilla Atiyah, uh, Camelia was the mother of the groom. Uh, of the 18 wounded in the shooting, seven are members of Abud's family. The wounded, some still in critical condition, were taken to local government-supported hospitals. On Tuesday, a Voice of the Martyr Fields worker was in the process of moving several of the victims to a private Christian hospital when they would, where they would receive better care when a group of army personnel arrived. An army official ordered that the Christian victims be moved into a specialized army hospital with the treatment costs to be covered by the army. We were amazed because this is the first time a country leader has taken care of persecuted Christians, the voice of the, mar- the, voice of the martyrs workers said of the unexpected turn of events. Along with the good news, our voice of the martyr worker also passed along a prayer request. He asked for prayer for three-year-old uh, Philobotir, who is in critical condition. The young boy may not live, and the family has already lost one child. He is the younger brother of the eight-year-old killed in the attack, and his mother is also hospitalized with injuries. 
Thousands of Christians turned up the day after the attack to mourn the deaths. Many fear further attacks from the Islamic insurgents. This attack is only the latest in a series of brutal attacks on Christians since August the 14th. Attacks on Christians have continued to increase since President Mohamed Morsi's removal from the office uh, by the Egyptian military in July of 2013. Members of the Muslim Brotherhood have blamed both authorities as well as Christians for Morsi's removal. In August, authorities raided two pro-Morsi protest camps in Cairo, which incited a wave of attacks that destroyed more than 30 churches and over 120 Christians-owned businesses, homes, and cars. Voice of the Martyrs compiled a partial list of churches and Christian institutions attacked in that short period. It says that 651 were killed, 4,000 were injured by Islamics, by Islamists, including Muslims and Christians all over Egypt. And then at the bottom of the email, it just lists just a number of different churches that were burned um, and, and physical acts of persecution against Christians. Now that happened this week, and most of us didn't know about it. And I want to bring that to your attention because God uses persecution and suffering in a very powerful way for his kingdom. He always has. Now, we don't experience much of it because we don't really live lives. I don't know. I could, I could say we don't really live lives that, that would require any type of persecution, typically. Satan is very comfortable with the lives that we live. And so he really says, well, they're not a threat to my kingdom. So why really mess with them? I'm going to go after the people that are true threats to my kingdom. But we need to begin to see our lives as God working through us to advance his kingdom. God is using you as his people in a mighty way in this world. In this world, We need to be aware of what God is doing and particularly the sufferings that we are enduring. Because God is working through those sufferings. You may not be being shot at while you're attending a wedding. But your marriage is probably under attack on a regular basis because, God, because Satan is using conflict in that way to try to separate you from your husband and your wives. Your relationships with your friends in your community, especially those that you want to, to share the gospel with, you're trying to build those relationships with, Satan is constantly attacking those relationships. So we just need to be aware of how he is working and also how God is using these circumstances in our lives for his kingdom. And we're going to be talking about that today in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is an amazing story in the midst of exile, of chaos from the nation of Israel. He's an excellent example of us, of faithfulness to God. So as you guys, if you were here last week, we talked through all of this. I'm kidding. Um, Last week, we looked at the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. And as we've walked through this story of God using this group of people to display his redemptive plan for humanity, this people called Israel, known as the Jews, God has covenanted with those people throughout the millennia. It's a way that a covenant is how he has reacted with his people. And each of those covenants, there was a type of those covenants. Those covenants had blessings that came along with them. Many of them had curses like the Mosaic Covenant that if the people didn't fulfill the, their, their side of the covenant, then there was a curse. God always gave a sign of that covenant. And then I listed the text for you guys if you wanted to check it out. And my disclaimer, uh, this is by Michael Lawrence. He's actually a pastor here at Henson Baptist Church in North Portland. I don't know if he came up with this, but he put it in his, he didn't, Royce is shaking his head. Uh, it's in his book, Biblical Theology for the Life of the Church. Royce, do you know who actually came up with this? It's a common chart. I, I came across it in Biblical Theology for the Life of the Church. So this is not out of my brain. I just wanted you guys to know that. Uh, it's part of the plagiarism con- uh, conversation that me and Jim have had. Um, uh, great resource. And it, it's just been helpful for me to visualize God's plan and particularly how his people interact with his plan throughout, throughout the millennia. Well, in our story today, we find ourselves in exile. 
the people have not been obedient to the covenant that God made with them through the law and through Moses. They've, got, they've entered into gross idolatry, and God has used the, the empires of the world to bring judgment upon his people, first with the Assyrians and now with the Babylonians. And you guys remember last week when we kind of walked through the narrative of how Judah actually fell into the hands of Babylon. I told you guys that, that King Nebuchadnezzar attacked the city several times over a period of about, tw- of about 20 years. And every time that he would come in and attack Judah, he would take some of those people away in exile and he would install another king over Judah. Well, during the first time that he did that, during the reign of King Jehoiakim, Daniel and some of his friends are taken into exile. So the story that we're going to read today, in context, you'll have to remember that right now in Israel's plan, God is 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 uh, is enacting judgment upon his people by allowing them to go into exile. So Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys probably heard the names before if you're in Sunday school class, they are suffering curse at this point in their life because of the disobedience possibly lived by them or lived by their parents. It doesn't really tell us. We know under this covenant that when your parents sinned, many times you face the consequences of that sin. Jeremiah even talks about that, how the difference between these two covenants, how good that is that down here that we no longer have to, we no longer face the sin of our parents. Many of us face the consequences of our parents' sin, but we don't have to, we don't have the the consequence of their sin like they did. So we're going to be reading in in the book of Daniel here. So Where we find ourselves is in the beginning of Daniel, uh, a group of exiles have been brought to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king over Babylon, gives a command to take take out of the nobility those men that it says they are um, of royal family, youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So Nebuchadnezzar says, take the brightest of Israel, and I want you to bring them and teach them the ways of our empire. And if they can understand like we do, if they can learn, then we'll put them to work in the kingdom uh, in, in levels of authority throughout the kingdom. So as the story goes on, we know that Daniel and his three friends are, are they, meet, they, they meet this mold. They apparently are handsome men, uh, of good appearance, they're, they're smart, they're endowed with wisdom. And so King Nebuchadnezzar takes them, begins to teach them all the ways of the, of the kingdom. And it says at the end of chapter 1, uh, after this, uh, there's a really cool story in here about how Daniel and his friends refused to eat the meat from the king's table because most likely it was sacrificed to idols. And so they say, no, we're just going to be vegetarians, just give us vegetables. And at the end of this period, Daniel and his friends are actually healthier than everybody else that's been all the other officers, all the other people that are being trained. Daniel and his friends are healthier than everyone else who's been eating meat of the king's table. So this is a big plug for you vegans, vegetarians, you know, Daniel and his friends did it. Uh, And it says at the end of of, uh, of verse 20, it says, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were all of his kingdom. So God takes Daniel and his friends who are in exile and actually gives them abilities to be able to be used in this pagan empire in a mighty way. So although his people are under exile, he hasn't abandoned his people, right? God never does that. We talked about that last week in Jeremiah 31 with the new covenant, that God has a plan to redeem his people. And so God is going to use them in exile, and particularly God is going to use suffering in the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for his glory and for his purpose. So as the story continues, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has this dream. And in the dream, he sees a giant statue. The head is made of gold. The chest and the arms are made of silver. The stomach and the legs are made of bronze. The feet are made of iron. And the toes are made of a mixture of iron and clay. And in the vision, Nebuchadnezzar sees a giant rock that was cut without using human hands, rolls down, it hits the statue on the toes, and the statue falls down and is destroyed. 
So Nebuchadnezzar wakes from this dream and wants to know what it means. And so he calls all of his magicians, his enchanters, all of his, uh, uh, all of his people that can read dreams, interpret dreams. And he brings them before him. It's a large group of them in his, in his empire. And he says, I want you to interpret this dream that I just had. But to know that you can really interpret the true meaning of the dream, I'm not going to tell you the dream. So I want you not only to interpret it, you have to tell me what I dreamed. And all of his magicians and his interpreters say, no one on earth can do that. And Nebuchadnezzar says, then you're all going to die. Well, Daniel is one of these guys that has been promoted to be to, to some type of, a, it, it refers to him as a magician, but he's really not a magician because we know he doesn't practice any, any of the evil magic arts. But God had given him some type of abilities that we're not really clear of. Well, Daniel goes before the king and says, you know what? I can't interpret dreams, but my God can if he chooses to. And so Daniel prays to God and he, he gives praise and adoration to God and says, God, if you would, would you allow me to interpret this dream? And God does. And so Daniel goes before Nebuchadnezzar and tells him, here's the interpretation of the dream. Uh, he's very flattering. It's awesome. You guys should, should read about it. He says, you, O oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king in all the world, the king of kings, the bestower of all things. You have conquered all the empires. You are the head of gold, you know, that, that's going to be destroyed. Your empire will be destroyed. And then after you, another empire will rise up. And that empire is going to be, be destroyed. And that's the, the arms and the legs. And, that, and then another empire will rise and that empire will fall. And it goes on and on and on and, and walks through a number of these different empires. Well, just from a historical standpoint, we know that that, that was actually a historical, uh, it, was, it was pointing forward to the future, to something that hadn't happened yet. Uh, because you can, if you, I'm going to preach, I just want to make a side point. I'm going to preach out of my ESV Bible this week. This has been my main study source for a lot of these sermons. Everybody should have a Bible in your home like this. You can preach messages out of it. It's amazing. It has everything in there. You don't need to go to seminary to, 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 be, to lead your family in the study of the Word in your house. Just get an ESV study Bible. It's awesome. It's my plug. So in this ESV study Bible, it, it walks through Daniel's interpretation of this dream. And it says, okay, the Babylonian Empire, the head of gold, it, it falls in 539 B.C. The, the Persian Empire is after that, and it falls in thir, thir, uh, 331 B.C. Then the Greek Empire, it falls in 63 B.C. Then the Roman Empire in, four, in 476 A.D. And so it walks through all of these empires that, that, that fall. I mean, this is the, the beautiful part of, of, man, God being able to see into the future and know exactly what's going to happen. And for us to see that this was recorded in history before it happened, it's just an awesome testimony to, to God's ability, how he controls the future and everything is for his glory. So Daniel interprets this dream to King, to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? So what does Nebuchadnezzar do knowing that he is the statue of gold, the head of gold that's destroyed? He goes out and builds himself a giant statue made out of gold. It's like the, 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 the most ironic testament to his arrogance. After Daniel says, you're the head of gold that's going to be destroyed, Nebuchadnezzar, all he hears is a giant statue of gold. Yeah, like that's a great idea. Like I never thought about that. So he builds a 90-foot statue, most likely of himself, in his empire. And then he calls everyone to bow down to this, empire, to this statue. So here's what we're going to pick up in our story. And CJ is going to read it for us. We're going to read all of chapter 3. And I would ask you guys to stand up in the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible... They are free in the Connect booth, or you can look at it up on the screen here. Let's read together. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, 
that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Do we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the God Most High, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon.
You guys can have a seat. Thanks, CJ. I appreciate that, man. What we're going to see in this story is actually a, a kind of a framework for how God works that's going to be repeated later in Daniel, in the story of Daniel and the lion's den, which is also familiar to many of you guys. And the theme that you're going to see uh, repeated is that first God is going to do a, a supernatural work in the lives of Daniel and his friends to place them in positions of authority, right? That's what we saw in Daniel being able to interpret the dream. Because he could interpret the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar then promotes him and his friends to these positions of authority within his kingdom, right? So first first theme we see, or, or first part of the, of, uh, of the framework, God uses a, a, a supernatural work to exalt his people. Then the second thing that comes along is there's going to be testing of those people. Their faith will be tested in some way. Then when they respond to that testing of faith by glorifying God, the people around them will also glorify God because of how they responded. Now, we're going to see this twice. You see it first in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story. Then you see it again in Daniel and the lion's den. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the same thing happen twice, it's very intentional by the author. They're trying to say, hey, don't miss this. That's why we're showing, that's why God and his sovereignty through a human author is saying, notice this, this is very important for you to see. And I believe it's the message that God wants for us also as his church today. Because God still works in this way. He still takes his people and blesses them. But many times he doesn't just leave those people with this place of just prosperity and life is so easy. He then tests those people. He allows the world, he allows sin to, to, to come in and to have a time of testing upon them, a testing of their faith. Now, this is what Romans 12, 1 through 2 tells us. This, you can listen to this. You don't have to turn there. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's, that was, that's for us, the, the church today. This is still how God works. In your life, he is blessing you as his people. He is, he is allowing you to prosper in many different ways. But we have this misconception that the Christian life is just about, oh, I, 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 my life sucks, so I'm going to come to God, and then my life is going to be great. And so people many times come to God to be rescued out of their circumstances, not to be rescued from their sin. Right? I mean, this is, there are many, many churches that this is what they're based upon. Oh, God just wants to save you out of your circumstances. No, God wants to save you from your sin, and he wants to use your circumstances to bring his name glory. So throughout your life, God is going to continue to allow things that happen to you that are very hard, that are very difficult. Many people, it is persecution around the world. Because he wants you to glorify his name through those circumstances. And when we do glorify him through those circumstances, I believe that is one of the most beautiful testimonies that we have to the world of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Right? So let's begin to look at our lives in that perspective. That This is why God is allowing these things to happen. Uh, we can even see that God does this in Jesus Christ, right? Think of that framework. We see Jesus, uh, the miraculous birth, right? The virgin birth. So there was something very supernatural that happens there in Jesus incarnating to earth. What is the first thing that Jesus is tested in before his ministry starts? The wilderness, right? Where before he's even be able to begin the work that God has for him, God leads him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan, you can look at it in Matthew chapter 4. And it's really interesting because it's a very similar testing to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face. One of the testings that they have to endure in chapter 4 verse 8, it says, And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Our, post, our picture right over there that Nathan colored for, or uh, drew for us. Not colored. Sorry, dude. 
<laughs> Just coloring. Uh, and, uh, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Right? That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The exact same thing that we see happened in the life of Daniel. Daniel is kind of a a type of Jesus for us, right? He's pointing forward to Jesus who hasn't come yet. God, these same themes, themes God has been doing since the beginning of time through his people. He does it through Jesus Christ and he's doing it through you today as his church. We need to see ourselves in a part of God's redemptive plan and how he is using these circumstances. So back to our story here. Nebuchadnezzar builds himself this amazing statue on the plains of Dura. Sounds a lot like the Tower of Babel, right? It's a big plain, build a giant statue unto our accomplishments. This is not new to humanity, right? Been doing this since the very beginning. He builds the statue to himself and he, and he fall, calls everyone to fall down. Well, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have been placed in positions of authority, mainly because of Daniel, as their friend has recommended them to these positions of authority. There's some people that are very je- jealous of them. Obviously, they're, they're not of the Babylonian Empire, right? I mean, they're not of birth in the empire. So people who are, who were raised, they're kind of jealous of, of how God is using these people in, in the empire. And so they come up with this plan to be able to remove them from these places of, a, of authority. It says, These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's just amazing. It's amazing that, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live such different lives than the people in the Babylonian Empire. That was something that really stuck out to me this week as I thought through this message. There's a good chance that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are idol worshipers, right? I mean, they were, they were in Judah. They were of nobility in Judah. And Jeremiah and Isaiah told us that the leaders of Judah, your priests, your kings, your prophets, they are all bowing down to the Baals. I mean, I don't know that. They could just be stand-up guys that never fell to idolatry like everyone else in the empire. I don't think the text would imply that, but I think these guys might have been idol worshipers in Judah. Why are they not willing to bow down now? You know? Now you're in the Babylonian Empire. What's, what's, when you were in Judah, you were under God's blessing and you were worshiping idols. Why not bow down to idols now in Babylon? What's the difference? I think it's because they realized the plan that God had and what he was doing. When they were in exile, they were probably hearing Jeremiah with his prophets, right? With all his prophecies, when he was calling out to Judah and asking them to repent and saying, repent because Babylon's going to come in and they're going to take you over and they're going to slay many of you and you're going to go into exile. And Daniel and his friends are like, you know what? I remember that. So I'm going to repent and I'm going to begin to live a life under the authority of God according to the Mosaic Covenant. Hey, we're not going to eat the meat of idols because God told us not to in the Mosaic Covenant. Hey, we're not going to bow down to idols because God in the Ten Commandments said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship golden golden images or carved images, right? So these guys are allowing, I think, their previous sin, they look back and learn something, right? And now they're saying, you know what? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God and I'm going to live lives obedient to God. At any point, God's people, we can choose to live lives of obedience, right? We can repent of our idolatry. We can be restored. And we can say, okay, God, no, going forward, I want to worship you and I want to live a life that worships you. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to model this for us in the book of Daniel. So they're, they're living lives according to, to, to God's laws in exile under the Babylonians. People see it and they, they say to the king, these men pay no attention to you. They don't serve our gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. And as the narrative goes, Nebuchadnezzar's not happy, right? He said that everyone would bow down and to worship him. And so he takes these, these three guys, and I, and I love the phrase in, uh, in the end of... Uh, of verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to cast you into the burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Right? 
And then it's amazing because Nebuchadnezzar is going to answer his own question by the end of the story, right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come before the king. And, and this is that line, man, take in your Bible and, and underline verse 17 and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, circle that in your Bible. If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow, that's faith, right? So God, in a supernatural way, exalts these guys in the Babylonian Empire inside of exile. Then a time of testing comes. And they say, you know what? No matter what the result of this is, we will never bow down to you. That's that moment of tension, I believe, in the life of a Christian. When many of us have received God's blessing, His favor upon us. But when trials come, when pressure comes, we buckle to that. Right? We say in, in our workplace that God has blessed us as a, with a job. And then when we have to make a choice of integrity, then we conform because, we, well, no, I can't lose this thing, right? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't lose this job. I have, to, I have to do whatever I have to do to keep this job. And so we then sin because we don't trust God. In this relationship that I'm in with a boy and a girl, God has blessed you perhaps and said, I have favor upon you. I'm going to give you this, this wonderful person to live in relationship with. And then we say, but, but man, I, I can't imagine waiting to we get married to have sex. So we're going to go ahead and do that now, right? And so God in his blessing, that time of, of testing comes when Satan says, you know what? No, just go ahead. It, it's cool. You know what? You love each other. And we give to that, that pressure, right? Those are those moments when we have to say, you know, God, I just have to trust you and I have to trust your sovereign plan. And I'm going to be obedient to your word. My finances, this one's going to hit home. These are my, this, is, this is my money. Well, no, it's God's money, right? Sustainer of all things, creator of all things. I've blessed you. My favor's upon you but this is my money and I have to spend it this way. And God says, no, I want you to spend your money like this. I want you to help those persecuted Christians. You know, those churches that have been burned down. And you're like, well, well, well no, it's, it's, it's my money. It's my abilities. I earned this money. I did this. And that's when we don't trust God. We don't trust his sovereignty. And we don't listen to his voice. This is happening. We're living our lives like this on a daily basis. We have to begin to listen to God because he has something that he's, that he's trying to do through his people, a, a great work for his name and his glory. If we will just listen like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lives lives that are obediently, live lives that are obedient. So our story continues. Nebuchadnezzar has the fire heated seven times hotter has some amazing uh, visuals that the author paints here of, of, of sounds and sights and smells. You can really like, imagine this scene. So you have this, this giant furnace. It's actually a, like a two-story furnace where the people are thrown in at the top. And then there's a viewing chamber down bottom where everyone can watch their bodies burn. So it says up top, the strongest men of the empire grab Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They bind them really strong with these, with these ropes, and they throw them. And they say when they take the, the top off of this furnace, it's so hot that the fire kills everyone that's standing up there, all of the, the strong men, right? I mean, Daniel's going to great lengths for us to say, this isn't an accident that these guys survived. This is a, a miraculous work of God that happens. And so they throw the guys in the fire, and King Nebuchadnezzar and his people are standing down bottom watching this whole thing happen. And he sees four men get up, or three men get up and begin to walk around. And he says there's a fourth there with them. And Nebuchadnezzar says, he's, that fourth one has the image of, of the gods, like the son of the gods. Now, some people like to say, oh, that's Jesus. He's walking around in the fire with them. I don't know. That's a great thought. The pre-incarnated Jesus walking in the fire with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's probably an angel of God. Either way, it's God's deliverance and his favor upon them for their act of obedience. And so 
they come out of the fire. And then we have these visual details again. Their clothes are not burned. There's, no, there's not even smell of smoke on their bodies. Talk about the power of God to work in his people and then live lives obediently to his kingdom. Not even a, not even a hint of, of, of burning. And then as a result of that, what do we see Nebuchadnezzar do? He praises God, right? Well, he at least praises God through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, praise your God. He doesn't actually himself praise God, but he praises them through, through him. See, that's that framework I was talking about. Blessing, trial, our response to that trial, and praise to God. Now, God said this is what he was doing the whole time. I want you guys to flip over in your Bibles to, uh, to Ezekiel 36. It's right before Daniel. Check this out here. So the prophet Ezekiel, to his people in exile, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into our land. Right? Right here? The uh, Mosaic Covenant, the blessing, bringing them into the promised land. I will bring you into the land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. And I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the trees and and increase the field abundant. That you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves with your iniquity and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquity, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, The land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and the desolation and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. He said that a second time. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which is desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Thus says the Lord God. I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock of their sacrifice, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people then they will know that I am the Lord. Man, even before they went into exile, God said, I'm going to allow all of this to happen. Do you know why? For the sake of my holy name. We as God's people today, as Christians, we bear the name of Christ. And God is using you, right? We're down here. This, if this is a timeline, it's still going. And we are, we are born into God's plan for humanity. And through you, under this new covenant, he is using your life and your trials and your suffering and your sin for the sake of his holy name. 
That's how we need to begin to view life. And I believe that if we can, if we can, if we, if God, I would say, can open our hearts and our minds to that truth, like we have printed on this mirror over here, if God can open our hearts and our minds to the truth, to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, then I truly believe that through us, he can do amazing things like he does through Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And it's just through our testimony of what God is doing, that we don't bow to the pressures of the world when it comes, but we continue to live lives of faithful obedience to God. And I believe that the way that we respond to God is going to be our testimony to the rest of the world, right? Bring up our, uh, the pathways graphic that we have. This is what I love about this graphic, because the way that you respond as servants to God affects the way that you are an ambassador to the world. When you look at the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all they did was faithful to God, right? They were just really good servants to God. And because they lived under the authority of his word and they believed that he had a plan, he was working in his life, he then uses them to affect the rest of the kingdom, the rest of his family, and to be ambassadors to the rest of the world. It's not that, okay, I have to try to be a servant here and be family here and be ambassadors here. There's a lot of overlap in these areas. Our first priority is to God and our relationship with him as his servants in prayer and study of the word and worship and our response to him. And that will affect the other areas of our life. This is what we see in 1 Peter. Flipping your Bible over to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. This is going to be on the communion tables today when you come and take communion in a little while. And I want you guys, when you come, to spend some time reading that passage of Scripture and, and, and just kind of read over it and think about what it means for you today. First Peter 2.9 says, You, church, you Christians, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people. We'll go, God, in the first person, you're a people from my possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. That's what we're going to do when we come to these tables, right? Remember the mercy that we've received from Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He says, so beloved, my family, my, 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 my people, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. One of the most powerful tools that God has given us is the lives that we live on a day-to-day basis the people that you love and you interact with at your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. The grace that you have received through Jesus Christ then being shown in the grace that you give in your, in your everyday life. That's what it means to be a follower of God. And so for you that are Christians, I want to encourage you today as you come and you take communion to, to think about that idea that God has bestowed mercy upon you how are you showing that in your life? How are you living that out? Does your, does your relationship with God reflect that you've received mercy? Because someone that receives mercy and is someone that's met God and encountered God desires to know him more, to woo that relationship with him. A life that's received mercy realizes that God has placed you in community with other people and you're to share your possessions just like God has shared with you. And you're to be at peace with one another just like God has come at peace with you through Jesus Christ. And you as ambassadors when you have received mercy, you realize that you now have something to give back to those that are around you. So I want to challenge you as Christians to consider that. For you that aren't Christians in this room today, this may be a little, I don't know, it could be a little eye-opening. Because you may have come here because life isn't going well. Or there's some type of suffering that's going on in your life. I'm not sure what it is. The loss of a loved one. or Just the reality of living in a broken world. And you're coming here looking 
for hope. Know that you can find it first in the forgiveness of sin. That you, just like everyone else in this story, was broken and sinful before God. You are suffering in life because you're God's creation and you're not living life the way that God has called you to. But God doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to forgive you. And then he wants to take your life and give it a completely new purpose and meaning. He wants to make sense of all the things that you can't make sense of. If you want to talk to someone about that, I'm going to be sitting up here on the front row. Royce is going to be up here. There'll be some people up here that will also be willing to pray. Come and talk to us about that, about about Jesus Christ, and, and see the plan that he has for you and the work that he wants to do through your life. And then for those of you who are Christians, I would invite you to come to the tables and partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your amazing story. We thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we can look at their lives and we can see faithfulness in the midst of, of exile, God, in the midst of persecution out of all the guys that I thought would be bowing down to idols. Father, you, you through these guys, make your name holy before a, a pagan king. And God, I pray that you would do the same thing through your church today. And I believe in confidence that you're still doing that today. That you are taking a people and you're saving them. And you're restoring them and you're giving them grace and hope and faith. God, I just pray an empowering of your spirit upon your church in this place that we would, we would go out of here today. And we would realize that you are allowing everything that happens in our lives. And we can either choose to bring glory to our own names or we can choose to bring glory to your name. And I pray that through seeing your redemptive plan and through living lives of holiness, God, that here in St. John's and in in Portland, your kingdom would be advanced. Not just through a guy standing up on on a pulpit, are standing up in the front, but through individual lives of each of us, Father, advance your church powerfully through us as your, as your people, as your royal priesthood, as your holy nation. God, give us the, the strength of your spirit to live lives that are so radical that when everyone, when the world looks in, they'll say there's something different about those people. How could they go through that trial and respond that way? How could they live with that much faith? There must be something unique about them. That's why why we're here. God, I I know that's why you've left us here on this earth. That's why you're, you're waiting to return. Because through your people and their lives that you're declaring your kingdom. God, give us the strength to live as exiles to know that this place is not our home because you have something greater. God, thank you for the work that you've done through Jesus Christ. It's only through him that we can receive forgiveness of sin. It's only through him that we can receive the spirit and live lives of holiness. May I remember that today in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.